Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hey everyone, before I begin, I would like to play a promo of a podcast that I've been listening to recently and I really enjoy. It's not the usual true crime podcast that you're thinking of, but it's true crime nonetheless. Take a listen. I'm Javier with Pretend Radio, and this season, I'm embedding myself in a cult. Throw him to the ground and get his devils out! Many in the media have tried to get in front of the accused cult leader, Jane Whaley, and have failed. We have asked you to leave. But somehow, I got in. Are you sir? Yeah, yeah um, I'm here to speak with Jane Whaley. She invited me to service today. Yeah. This season, we're going deeper into the Word of Faith Fellowship than ever before. This story is on a collision course, and it's not going to end well. Why would anybody want to harm him? Sometimes we hurt other people by hurting people they love. Pretend Radio, Season 3, The Prophet. I don't know why, but it took me so long to discover this podcast, Pretend Radio, and it is just so good. The voice, narration, the stories, they're all incredible. So guys, do me a favor and go subscribe and listen to Javier Talk. It's a really good podcast. Now, let's begin today's episode. Hello all. This is episode 36 of the Asian Madness podcast. Thank you again for tuning in, and just a reminder, my podcast is not all murder and death, though death is somewhat inevitable at times. Please hit me up with your suggestions when you have any so I can fit that into my pod schedule. So, today's episode is a listener suggestion from Diego. He's pretty active on Facebook and Twitter, so if you're listening to this, Diego, thank you for your suggestion. This case is very interesting and very tragic and not your usual murder case. It actually has nothing to do with murder, but death is involved. I don't know how much you all know about disasters and radiation, but I will admit I am not familiar with the terms and how deadly it can be, except that it is deadly. But after looking into this case, I'm actually terrified and I hope to God that this doesn't happen to anybody else ever again. This case, again, takes place in Japan because, let's face it, a lot of interesting things happen in Japan. 
This is the case of the Tokaimura nuclear disaster that took place in 1999. And although there were not many victims, the victims, though, experienced hell on Earth. Let's begin. Radiation is an energy that is it's, it's transmitted, and, and ionizing radiation is what we're dealing with in, in this type of a situation. Essentially, what it means is that it can get it into your body, and it has the effect of breaking the DNA, which is the, the, the main uh, thinking parts of our cells. And it has the ability to break that down so that it can damage tissues in an irreparable manner, which can be quite harmful, certainly with these levels of radiation. If you're, getting, if you're exposed to radiation, you don't feel anything. Right? You don't feel anything as it's passing through you whatsoever. So that's another term and, and, and a thought that really scares and is frightening to people. You just don't know. Initial radiation exposure, sickness, symptoms can be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Your skin can be damaged. You can have skin blistering. And then, of course, over the longer term, that's when we start to worry about the DNA damage to your cells, causing cancer, birth defects, a whole host of other symptoms that we need to be aware of. Before getting into the details of the case, I would like to give a brief description of the place. The location is a village called Tokaimura, or Tokai Village, located in the Ibaraki Prefecture that also borders the Pacific Ocean. This area is about 120 kilometers north of Tokyo, so not too far away from the capital of Japan. Current population of Tokai is approximately 40,000, and it is a place where many nuclear technology research facilities are located, including the one we will be discussing today. There are also two university research facilities located there one from the University of Tokyo, and one from the Graduate University for Advanced Studies. Okay, so that's that. Now, where there's nuclear energy, there will also be a higher chance of a disaster. And these sorts of disasters and accidents are not as uncommon as you would think. First, let's head back to 1997. The first nuclear accident happened on March 11, 1997, where an explosion occurred in a waste processing plant. A fire broke out in the area where they process radioactive waste, and after the fire was put out, there was an explosion which was probably brought about by the volatile gases from the fire. The gases were probably brewing, waiting for the right moment to explode. About 40 workers at the plant were exposed to radiation. Initially, the officials reported that the radiation level was about 20% higher than normal, which I'm going to assume... It's not too bad for a radiation accident. But it turns out they were doing some number games and doing scandalous cover-ups because later they admitted that the radiation level was actually about 10 times higher than usual. Not cool. Officials of Japan's nuclear power agency were of course attacked for this disaster. Especially since there had been an incident that took place only 15 months earlier in 1995 at another plant. The public expected them to have learned from the previous mistakes, but I guess not. People never expect bad things to happen to themselves. The head official, of course, apologized for the anxiety the accident caused. Now, let's head on to the next incident that took place only two years and some months later, which is really too soon. 
This one was way more serious than the previous one, and please be warned that there will be graphic descriptions of the injuries the victims suffered. If you have a good imagination, then it will probably hurt a bit. On September 30th of 1999, there were three people from the JCO company working in a nuclear plant. Ouchi Hisashi, age 35, Shinohara Masato, age 39, and Yokokawa Yutaka, age 54. The three of them had been working on a fuel batch that involved uranium. I'll be the first to admit I don't know much about uranium or chemicals or nuclear plants. What I do know is that if not done under the correct procedure, it can be extremely dangerous and deadly. So that day around 10.30am, two of the guys were working on preparing the batch, while the third guy, Yokokawa, was a few feet away working at his desk. Important to note that none of the three men were exactly familiar or qualified for what they were doing. They had no qualifications and did not receive proper training for this task, which the company should have definitely provided. The following description of the accident is going to sound a bit foreign, but bear with me for a bit. Though I did try to simplify it. So the batch they were working on reached a critical point when the workers poured too much uranyl nitrate into the tank, meaning it was way more than the mixture could handle. They poured about 16 kilos of the uranyl nitrate into the batch, a batch that could actually only hold 5.5 kilos. So that means that the tank was holding 2.9 times more than it was supposed to. This is also termed as a criticality accident. Just imagine you have an empty cup. If you pour more water into the cup than it can hold, it will obviously overflow. Now just use that concept and add in nuclear chemicals reacting, and that is how you start a disaster. There was no explosion, at least not the kind you're thinking of. When the incorrect mixture was poured in, there was a flash of blue and white light, aka gamma and neutron radiation, that lasted for about two seconds. The radiation was immediate, and there was no way to react or run from it. The person closest to the reaction was Ouchi Hisashi, who was less than a meter away from the batch accident. He received an intensely high dosage of radiation poisoning, 20,000 times more radiation than a normal person would ever be exposed to in a lifetime. Imagine that happening to you in just two seconds. Imagine what that does to your body. Ouchi was draped over the tank at the time, looking into the tank and holding a funnel with his right hand. The second person closest to the radiation was Shinohara Masato, who was the one pouring the solution in. When the lights flashed, Shinohara initially tried to make a run, but collapsed about two seconds later as he turned away from the tank. During those two critical seconds, the pair immediately felt nauseous, pain, and breathing difficulties. Ouchi Hisashi threw up into the tank and lost consciousness. The facility had alarms installed in case of radiation, and once it detected it, they went off, alerting the facility of an accident. Ambulances were dispatched to the facility at 11.52 a.m. The nearby area then began an evacuation of a few hundred people within a 350-meter radius, 
and it took almost an entire day for the workers to contain the situation from becoming more serious. People living within 10 kilometers of the facility were asked to stay indoors for their own safety, just until it was safe again. Hundreds of people were sent to the hospital for treatment because they were all exposed to radiation in some way or another. Yokokawa Yutaka, the employee who was working a few feet away, was exposed to about three sieverts of radiation. Shinohara Masato, the guy pouring the mixture, received about ten sieverts of radiation. Ouchi Hisashi was exposed to 17 sieverts of radiation. So what do these numbers mean? The measuring unit for radiation is a sievert. If a person is exposed to one sievert, they have a high chance of developing a form of fatal cancer in the next five years. Eight sieverts is considered deadly. Many other workers in the facility also were exposed to radiation as well, but significantly less than these three, maybe just a few millisieverts. How Ouchi Hisashi and Shinohara Masato made it out alive is really baffling. Yes, none of the workers died at first. The exposure was huge, but somehow they all lived. Yokokawa received a comparatively lesser dose of radiation poisoning, and after being hospitalized for a few months, he made a full recovery. The other two? Not so lucky. Let's start with Shinohara. Both Shinohara and Ouchi were rushed to the hospital, and seeing that these two men survived the intense radiation, the doctors decided that it was necessary to nurse them back to health. Shinohara's condition was bad, but still a lot better than Ouchi's. He received intensive treatment to help regenerate his body and cells. Miraculously, despite receiving a deadly dosage and after months of care, he got better. He even made it to see the year 2000. Although he managed to stay alive, his body was still very weak and very fragile. He caught pneumonia sometime in early 2000, and because his lungs were damaged and his immune system did not recover completely, he failed to fight off pneumonia. He died on April 27th, about 200 days after the radiation incident. The radiation exposure still managed to get him in the end. Really tragic. Now, let's discuss Ouchi. He was 35 at the time of the incident, and he suffered like no one else. It's even quoted that he received one of the worst radiation injuries in history, and after you hear about his battle at the hospital, you might just think it would have been better if he had just died right then and there. When Ouchi was first taken to the hospital, his physical appearance did not show too much damage. The medical team assigned to him observed that his skin seemed to be a bit darker, and his right arm was red and swollen. It seemed as if all the radiation was concentrated on his right arm, probably because he was holding the funnel with his right hand. He passed out initially during the accident, but he regained consciousness later and was speaking normally and seemed to be aware of the situation. Despite the intensity, he seemed to be okay. Doctors felt somewhat optimistic, assuming that they would be able to save his life. But that's where the nice part ends. He looked okay on day one, but as the days went on, his body began to deteriorate from the inside. His skin began to turn red the following day, 
read as if he had a sunburn. Upon closer inspection, Ouchi's DNA had been completely destroyed, as in there was no structure in his DNA, and it looked like it had, quote-unquote, shattered like glass. His entire body composition was rearranged, or rather, ruined. His cells were unable to reconstruct themselves due to this, his white blood cell count was near zero, and his immune system was pretty much destroyed. His skin began to turn black and show burned patches as the days went on, and since his white blood cells were pretty much non-existent, there was no way he would be able to heal on his own. The doctor found that Ouchi's sister was a match for a white blood cell donation, and that's what they did. They observed for around a week to ten days to see how it went, and at first it seemed to be working. But soon after, the white blood cell count went down again and it seemed as if the radiation exposure was stronger than anything the hospital could do for him. They began to use medical tape to keep his skin from peeling away and falling off, but of course that didn't work. His skin began to fall off in chunks, and as you can imagine, it was painful as hell, and it is painful to look at. We all know that water makes up a huge part of the human body, and because his skin was falling off, he was unable to retain any liquid in his body. He would lose up to 3 liters of body fluid daily, and they would try to keep him hydrated. A bit like a vicious cycle. His organs also began to fail, causing him to have breathing difficulties. You would think that at this point, the most humane thing to do would be to let him go, put him out of his misery, but no. The medical team wanted to continue trying, and Ouchi was then hooked up to breathing tubes to keep him alive. He eventually lost the ability to speak, and aside from losing large amounts of fluid, he was also losing a lot of blood. He would get maybe 10 blood transfusions per day, just to keep him going. His eyes became so dry, he would be bleeding from his eyeballs, which made it seem as if he were crying bloody tears. I simply cannot imagine how torturous it would be to be in this situation. On the 59th day, Ouchi's heart stopped beating, and the hospital insisted on reviving him. This happened about three times. At this point, his major organs, including his brain, had all failed. He was barely breathing, barely alive. On the 81st day, Ouchi's family told the hospital that if his heart stopped again, please do not resuscitate. Two days later, Ouchi's wife and son visited him one final time in the hospital, telling him to hang on. But they probably knew that those were just words, and as nice as that would have been, it wasn't going to happen. Ouchi was finally out of his misery. He passed away and everyone else finally let him go. Reading through the accounts of how his body broke down was really stressing me out. I just kept imagining, how horrible is it to be in this situation and not be able to decide your own fate? I think he was probably well aware that he would not be getting any better, and yet everyone else continued to make that decision for him, whether he'd be kept alive or not. This is just really terrible, and during his stay in the hospital, his wife and his son continued to visit him and made over 10,000 origami cranes for him. These crane origamis represent good fortune and longevity, and cranes were considered the bird of happiness in Japan. But happiness was probably the last thing Ouchi was feeling those 83 days. 
The doctor who was in charge of the medical team overlooking Ouchi stated that, quote, the radiation had changed every single cell in his body. He lost muscle fiber, and the only organ that continued working was the heart. Just one simple mistake can bring so much destruction to humans, and this is something that our medical staff have never encountered. So let's move on to another important topic. Who is to blame? Six employees of the facility faced charges of negligence for the incident, and one of the employees charged was Yokokawa, the only one that survived the radiation. The president of JCO pled guilty as well to the charges brought against his company. It was rumored that Tokaimura had a problem with training and safety management for their employees. They were known to take shortcuts in order to speed up their work. That's just a big-ass no. Due to the lack of training, two lives were taken and a whole lot more affected. On the scale of the international nuclear event scale, the Tokaimura incident was a four, labeled as accident with local consequences. The highest level is seven, and the two accidents in level seven include the Chernobyl disaster in 1986 and the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster in 2011 that resulted from an earthquake and tsunami. That's tough for Japan, getting hit with one disaster after another. Clearly, Japan is a country that relies a whole lot on nuclear energy. Since the 2011 nuclear disaster, people have been protesting the use of nuclear energy. Nuclear plants continued to go online and offline for a while, and the final operating reactor went offline in May of 2012. But this did not last, as nuclear power plants were restarted eventually, and they have many applications pending for new power plants to start again in the next few years. So, what are your thoughts on this case? I will be posting pictures on Instagram, and some of them are really graphic. If you don't feel like waiting, you're also very welcome to go check them out yourself on Google. Do you think the hospital made the right decision by keeping him alive? Or do you think they should have known it would be impossible and just let him pass on? I struggle with this because I understand that this is a new scenario for them, and maybe at some point they thought they would be able to save him, since they technically saved Yokokawa and Shinohara. But the thing is, although their situation was serious, it was not as bad as Ouchi's. Maybe it made sense to try to save him at first, but when they saw how his body was rejecting everything and when his body began to shut down, they should have taken the hint. It wasn't working, and the poor man had no choice in this. By keeping him alive to that point just makes me think they were using him as a medical experiment. The medical team of professionals treating Ouchi was assembled from Japan and from all around the world, as this was a rare case and required a lot of help. But, yeah, there are some things in life that you just can't salvage. So, there you have it. The disastrous nuclear accident in 1999 that caused the death of two employees. But it is not the death itself that people remember, but rather the months after the radiation exposure. There are books and documentaries regarding this case if you guys are interested in learning more about it. The book is called A Slow Death, 83 Days of Radiation Sickness. I apologize if the information I gave regarding the nuclear radiation doesn't sound uh, professional. 
I'm just not born for science and all that. So it was a bit of a learning curve for me. I just kind of did the nuclear disasters for dummies thing. So do me a favor and stay safe. It's really not just people who can kill you. Dangerous chemicals, natural disasters, all that. I know we can't avoid everything that comes our way. Sometimes I'm in awe with how resilient the human body can be, and at other times I feel like we can just die and disappear in one single second. This man lasted for 83 days while his entire body was dying from the inside out and from the outside in. Life is crazy. Till next time. Before I leave, I just would like to thank two people for their Patreon pledges. Uh, I would like to thank Heidi Holden for upping her pledge. That really helps and it means a lot to me that you're enjoying my podcast. So thank you. And also thank you to Thomas Reed for helping me out and for becoming my first top tier pledger. That means so much to me. You have no freaking clue. And I appreciate everybody subscribing, downloading, and listening. I just would like to say that this episode might sound a bit different and a bit more serious because I'm trying to keep my voice down and I don't have enough time to be alone since I have a roommate and I don't want to be extra loud. So this is me keeping my voice a little lower. So it might sound a bit different and serious. So please just understand. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.